Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Amen. Well, obviously, I'd like to start our Bible study out with a story of faith and trust. And maybe you've heard this before. It is real popular, but it goes something like this. There was a tightrope walker who did incredible aerial feats all over Paris. And he would do this tightrope act at tremendously scary heights. Then he would succeed in these acts. He would do it blindfolded, and then he would, obviously, he would go across blindfolded, and and then he would be blindfolded, and he would be pushing a wheelbarrow. Well, an American promoter read about this in the papers and wrote a letter to the tightrope walker saying, tightrope, he called him tightrope, I don't believe that you can do it, but I'm willing to make you an offer. For a very substantial sum of money, besides all your transportation fees, I would like you to challenge you to do your act over Niagara Falls. Now, the tightrope wrote back and said, quote, Sir, although I've never been to America and seen the falls, I'd love to come. Well, after a lot of promotion and setting the whole thing up, many people came to see the event, and you could imagine. Tightrope would start on the Canadian side and come to the American side. Drums roll, brrr, right? He came across the rope, which is suspended over the treacherous part of the falls, and he did it blindfolded. He made it across easily. The crowd went wild. And he comes to the promoter and says, well, Mr. Promoter, how do you believe? He says, now, do you believe I can do it? And the promoter says, well, of course I do. I mean, I just saw you do it. He said, no, no, listen, do you really believe that I can do it? Well, of course I believe you can do it. I just saw you do it. He says, no, no, no. Do you believe that I can do it. Yes, Mr. Promoter, I believe you can do it. He says, good, said the tightrope. He says, then what you need to do is get in the wheelbarrow. You see, that's exactly what our faith wants us to do. You see, a lot of times we say, I believe, I believe, I believe, And then when somebody challenges us, we have to take a look deep inside to go, do I really believe? Like like we can see things going on around us, and yet in our conscious, in our lives, in our hearts, we tend to question, do I really, really believe? And here's why. The Greek word for believe means to live by, right? To live by. And this is a nice story that makes you ask, how often do we say we believe in Christ can do it, but we often refuse to, quote unquote, get in the wheelbarrow? That's what radical faith is. That's what radical living is. And see, we've talked about three particular persons, and I want to see, I want you to see, I mean, and, and when we started this series, I want you to see, we didn't put no rhyme or reason. I would pray each week, and I would pick a character, and remember, we talked about three, but you'll see how amazing they line up, and you go, how so? Well, the first fellow we talked about, do you guys remember who he was? He was Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, I mean, nobody likes Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. 
He was helping the enemy just go nuts and, and roam the enemy come in and wipe people out. Nobody like the Bible says that he was short in stature, which means he was small. But it was also means that, that nobody liked him. He didn't have any friends. He didn't even nobody invited him into the social realm of where he belonged. And what happened, you remember, he got a, heard that Jesus was coming, wanted to see this Jesus, heard a lot of things about him, climbs up a sycamore tree. You guys remember the whole sycamore tree? Don't have time to get into that, but you need to listen to that. Climbs up a sycamore tree. Jesus comes right to him, looks up, and says, Zacchaeus, come down. We're having a barbecue at your house today. We're going to your house. And he goes to his house, and then, and then it doesn't tell us what happened, but you and I can assume that he had a true encounter with Jesus. Now, why is that important? Well, because every Wednesday and every Sunday, church, listen, you come here so that you can have an encounter with God, not have an encounter with the sermon or have an encounter with anyone else. You want to come and you want to meet and see God face to face. You want to hear his voice. You want to walk, and that's what you come for. And it's almost like Jesus is telling you, hey, guys, get down from the tree. I'm ready to go to your house. And you said, what happened to Zacchaeus? He changed. The guy was crazy. Why? Remember what he did? He gave half of his income away. He said, listen, I'm going to give it all away, and that's radical. You know, a lot of us will go, I'll I'll give you a few bucks. Why? Got saved, give you a few bucks. Not him. He's like, I'll give you half of my, as a matter of fact, you know how I ripped you off? I'm going to pay you back fourfold. You kidding me, right? I took $25 from Sister Melissa, but now I'm going to, I've met Jesus, so I'm going to pay her $100. That's radical. Why? Because it's like, that doesn't happen unless you've met Jesus. That doesn't happen unless you truly have what? Are living radical. And so, again, the first one we see is that you see a man who literally is saved by God. So the question you've got to ask is, am I radically saved? Am I radically saved? Do I live like this? The second person, do you remember? We talked about Daniel. And you just got to love Daniel. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Daniel didn't sin. We know he did. We know he's human like us. But the portion that we read was, think about Daniel was taken he was taken from his family. He's taken from, you know, from Israel, and he's taken to to where? To Babylonian, right? To and and basic to Babylon. And basically, what he was is that's a type of the world. So they take him never to see his family again. And guess what happens? You know what he decides? He says, "I'm going to live radically." How do I live radically? He says, "Because because I'm a Hebrew, I'm not a heathen. Here's what I want to do." And and now notice what he did, guys. Regardless of how the world was moving one way, he decided, "I'm going to live the way God had asked me to live. I'm going to live that way." Daniel lived radically simply by living for God in a world that wasn't living for God. Why? Because he humbly came and he said, "Hey." Hey, listen, could, could I just eat vegetables and water? I, oh, oh yeah, me and my compadres here, uh, us three. And they're probably sitting going, uh, okay, okay, if you say so, Daniel, I don't know, right? Just kind of looking forward to some good food. Daniel's like, no, 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 because here's what's going to happen. We're, we're Hebrew, we're not heathen. And you remember how we tied that in for us, and you go, why? Because God has called us to live radically, guys, but we know that the world is going, it's going crazy. The world is, I mean, you think about it. If you happen to have a smartphone 
with you and you have the and, and you get the AP or you get the news notifications, I mean it's it, it it's never good news, is it? You're just like, if I see one more Russian anything, but we're we're called to be what? We're we're called to be a Daniel. Just to say, listen, I, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. And I know the world's going this way, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, are you holier than thou? No, I'm just, I just want you to see that my faith is true. I'm not, I'm not playing. I don't have time. Listen, I know that you guys like to gather and, and, and gather and, and tell dirty jokes, but you know what, to be honest with you, that doesn't do anything for me. I'm a believer and I just, I just don't, I don't need that. Because regardless that everyone is running one way, you say, no, I'm going to stand up and I'm going I'm to run the opposite way. So you have someone who had a radical encounter with Jesus. You had somebody who is just standing up and saying, I'm just going to live for God. And then last week, remember we talked about Dorcas? We talked about Tabitha. Her name means delicate, and, and remember how she, how she lived radically? You go, how so? What did she do? Guys, she, she just basically stepped out of her comfort zone, and she served those around her. She looked and said, how can I meet a need? She was from the city of Joppa. She was sitting there, got saved, met Jesus, guys. You go, how so? Well, think about it. The Bible says that it declares her a disciple. Remember, remember our quote from last week, right? All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. It Bible says Dorcas, Tabitha, she was a disciple. So we know that she was a disciple. How so? Because she had an encounter with God. She had an encounter with Jesus much like you did. For you see, at this point, he had already ascended into heaven. And so as he promised, guess what he did? He had sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit draws himself or draws us to himself. And what was Dorcas known for? She, was, she lived radically. How? All she did... All she did was she just served. She saw a need and she met a need. Do you realize that her sowing meant a soul? That's that's really what it means. Dorcas was known for good works and the act of love for the poor. As much, she was much loved in the community of Joppa. So we have one radical change. Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus walked pretty tall that day. He met Jesus. Then you had Daniel who said, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to eat the vegetables and we're going to do what God has called us to do. And, and what happened? Daniel rose into prominent, prominent, prominent authority. Four kings, if you recall. Dorcas, she just met a need. You see how this ties into all of us? You go, why? Because I want to live radically, but I don't know exactly where I fit in. And Dorcas says, hey, how about, how about, we just, how about you just fit, fill a need? Fill a need. You want to live radically, guys? You go, well, I can't do much, Pastor. You want to live radically? How about you, you become a prayer warrior? You pray. 
and you pray and you pray. And maybe that's your gifting. You're just a prayer warrior. Well, tonight, we, we meet another Christian who lived radically. But he's going to do it by stepping out in faith, and he's going to do it by trusting God. You see, he was a man that not only talked the talk, but he also walked the walk. You could say that this man that we're going to study tonight was a man who actually got in the wheelbarrow. Hey, do you believe? I believe. Get in the wheelbarrow. Yes, sir, I believe. I believe. I believe. Now, before we jump into our study, we always ask this recurring question every single week, and it's a question we need to ask ourselves, right? What does it really mean, church, to live radical? What does it really mean? Because because even, even in, in church, they'll tell you living radically means you got to take a mission trip overseas. You got to fly overseas. You got to have a mission trip. You got to go to Mexico and not be able to speak the language. That's going to be radical. Why? Because you're going to get completely out of your comfort zone. And that's what a lot of people think living radically is. Or some people say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not really dealing with the whole radical, you know, mission trip thing, but maybe for you, it's, it's on a street corner preaching to those who will listen. You'll just get up and you'll just, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, or you'll be holding a sign and you'll get inquiries. Maybe that's radical. Maybe for you, it's witnessing late night in the depot district. You decide to get up at two in the morning and go down there and just share the love of Jesus to those that are hurting, to those that might be drunk, to those that might be, you know, running from God. Maybe that's radical for you. We could name so many things, guys, that we could do for God in the name of radical living, but quite honestly, here's what we learned, and if you're taking note, jot this down. If we simply purpose in our hearts to live the way God commands us to, people are going to think you're radical. You just, just purpose. Just purpose. I read a story this week that captured the heart of radical living through stepping out in faith, and it goes something like this. One night, a house caught fire, and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. The father stood on the ground below with his outstretched arms calling to his son, Jump! I'll catch you! Jump! Right? Panic and fear were starting to set in. He knew the boy would have to jump in order to to save his life. Although the boy could see, however, the flame and the smoke and the blackness, as he can, as, as can be imagined, he was afraid to leave the roof. His father kept yelling, jump, son, jump, jump, son, I'll catch you. But the boy prostrated, daddy, daddy, I can't see you, daddy, I can't see you. And the father replied, but I can see you. And that all, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And that's what faith is. That's radical living. It's jumping out, and saying, "God, God, I can't, I can't, I can't see you." And God's like, "Just, just jump. Just jump." Well, today in our story, not much is written about this fellow named Jonathan. We do know that he was the son of King Saul, and we do know that he was David's BFF. 
The Bible calls him, if you will, a man of deep love, of loyal friendship and faith in God. And Jonathan actually lived a radical life. How did he live a radical life? Guys, he stepped out in faith and he said, God, what do you can do? What can you do with my life? What can you do with my life? And that's where we pick up the story. First Samuel chapter 14. Let me kind of give you some background as you're there. Saul, King Saul and his men were battling the Philistines, okay? And Jonathan decided, we've got to do something. So I want to raid the Philistine outpost. Now you go, well, who were the Philistines? Well, if you're taking note, the Philistines were an aggressive, warmonging people, and they occupied the southwest of Israel between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. The name Philistine comes from the Hebrew word Philistia, and the Greek rendering of the name Palestini gives us the modern name Palestine. So if you go to Israel today, they'll say, no, 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 we're not Israel, we're Palestine. Well, it comes from the warmonging Philistines way back even in the Old Testament. When we were in Israel, there was a shirt hanging, and it, and, and, you know, it was a T-shirt that said, it said Google, and it said something you know, to look up Israel, and then Google come back and said, oh, you mean Palestine? And so basically that's been the fight, but if you, if you really think about it, these were the Philistines. It's the Greek word, for the Philistines. And that's who Saul is fighting. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. So here's where we're introduced to a man named Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan was a noble man, a man of true character, faith, and integrity. Church, stop right there. Your attention, please. If we're going to live in radical faith for God, if we're going to step out and trust God with all of our heart, I would love it to be said of me that I was a man of true character, faith, and integrity. That's the first thing we notice about Jonathan, he was a man of true character. He was a man of faith and integrity. And despite Saul's hatred of David, you know that he hated David, right? If you'll read that whole area, it was one point where, think about this, David was playing, and all of a sudden his dad throws a spear at him to try to kill him. Well, not his dad, I'm sorry, Saul, King Saul threw it at David. But if you continue reading, he throws it at his son too. And Saul was messed up. But see, Jonathan and David had become very close friends. And Jonathan protected David and he helped him escape Saul. Since David was married to Jonathan's sister, Michael, Jonathan also became, what, David's brother-in-law. Now, that's who Jonathan is, but notice, notice the radical living. He turns to the young man, there they are, they're in the midst of battle, okay? He turns to the young man who bore his armor, and he looks at him, he says, hey, let's do something crazy. Let's do something radical. And the young armor, what are you you thinking? Like, like, what's up, dude? Right, what are you thinking? He says, how about we go over to the enemy's camp and pick a fight with them? 
Well, that's pretty radical, isn't it? I mean, I mean, if you're the young armor bearer, you're like, ah, <laughs> uh, you just plain. You don't want to fight. You don't want to fight with them. I mean, these these are the Philistines, right? These are, and there's, you know, and then and then what do you start? You start doing the math in your head, right? Oh, okay, there's only two of us, uno dos. I don't know how many are there. You want to go pick a fight with them? Why would you want to do that, right? But Jonathan, guys. Jonathan's full of faith and trust in God. Let me say that again. Jonathan is full of faith and he trusts God. And so the question to you and I is, where are we in our walk with God? Do we fully trust him? Pastor, I trust him. Do we? Are you ready to get in the wheelbarrow? What wheelbarrow? Over the Niagara Falls? No, the wheelbarrow of your life. And when he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to step out. I want you to do something really radical. I want, I want to use you in ways that you could never, ever, ever, ever imagine. And you go, what, what do you mean? Get in the wheelbarrow, man. Get in the wheelbarrow. He was, he was full of faith and he trusted God. And he knew the living God. And he was ready to step out in faith and to see if God would give him the glory. And then the word of God just happens to mention, he says, okay, but listen, listen, let's not tell my dad. Let's not, let's not tell King Saul. Okay. So he took his young armor bearer with him and he know, and he told no one his plans, but you go, Ben, well, where was Saul at this point? Well, look at verse two. It says, and Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know he was gone. Okay, so what does it say? Say, dad was hanging out with 600 soldiers. Dad didn't know he was gone, but Jonathan says, dude, let's go see, what, let's go pick a fight. Let's go see what God will do. Let's go see what God will do. I love that. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if he was thinking, maybe we should, maybe we should tell, maybe we should, right? Okay, okay, listen, listen. If the 600 men are going to go with you, is it God? You go, Pastor, what's your point? Here it is. If we can explain it, then God's not in it. Guys, there, there are so many times I drive up to this building and I'm just shaking my head about what God is doing. I'm just, I'm blown away that, and why? Because if you ask me, Ben, what are you doing? I go, I don't even know what I'm doing. We've been here 13 years. I don't still have a clue. I don't have a clue what we're doing. Well, how do you plant a church? I don't know. Just show up every day. God has done the rest. Why? Because if I can explain it, God is not in it. That's exactly what he's saying. He said, listen, don't even tell that. I don't want to tell the 600 dudes. I don't, listen, I don't even want to tell them. Why? Well, here, here's what I want you to see. Notice, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Nobody knew that Jonathan had gone. He didn't tell his dad. He didn't say anything. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Guys, if you're an underliner, underline this because I think there's a nugget of truth there. Why? Because when it comes to radical living, here's what I want you to notice. None of the profiles that we have covered ever shouted, I'm living radical. They never did. And yet radical living is seen as action, right? How so? Well, Zacchaeus, he gave his money away and restored money to those he had stolen from. That's action, but he never shouted it. 
He never shouted it. He never was like, listen, I'm going to live radical now. Um, look at me, everyone. Here's my money. Going to give it back to the poor. Say, he didn't do that. But it's still radical faith, radical living requires action. Daniel, right? Daniel humbly, humbly asked if he could honor the Lord by eating vegetables and water. That's all he wanted, humbly. You realize that Daniel could have, I mean, he could have caused a big old scene. He could have threw a fit. He was taken 900 miles away from his hometown, didn't know anybody there. He knew Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and a few others, but he says, but he humbly said, do you mind, sir? Do you mind? And of course, Dorcas, guys, she didn't shout her radical living, but her life sure did. Why? Because when she died, people were hurt all over Joppa. They were crying. They were in, I mean, her life meant something. Church, listen, before we move on, can I just share with you a little bit, okay? Just a little bit, okay? It's called the dash. You know what the dash is? You have your birth date, you have your, your death date, and in between you have a dash. You know what? Listen, I mean, at the end of my, in my death day, I want my life, I want my dash to mean something. You go, like what? Whatever radical living, whatever radical living that God wants to use me, I, don't you want? I mean, listen, I don't just want to exist and be here and show up. Hey, I think I'm here. This is pretty cool. What happened? I lived 60 years, lived 70 years. And what did you do? I didn't do anything. Got up and went to work every single day, came home. And how was that? That's not what God called us. He called us for so much more. He called us to live for so much more. He called us to, to speak the word of God. I mean, you've got to understand this. We were talking about this just yesterday because, because we had another checkup for my wife's um, uh, basically going to the doctor for her cancer. And I mean, it, she said, I will tell anybody who will listen to me. And there's new nurses come in and I just watch her. Let me tell you, she starts telling them about Jesus. She starts telling, why? Because she wants something to matter. She wants her life, the dash. She don't know when that dash is going to end. We don't know when that dash is going to end. But I get so fired up. Why? Because we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to tell them that there's more in life. We want to say, listen, listen, I know everybody. Listen, we get in our way, but they're so... So much more. And then, but we don't have to shout it because our lives will do that. But when you live radical and people see it, who do they give glory to? God. They're shaking their head. They're going, this doesn't happen to you. This doesn't come from you. Are you serious? Wow. Wow. There's a couple of steps that happens when they look at your life. Number one, they're blown away because they're going, this, this, isn't, this can't be right. Are you kidding me? I knew you when. And then the second thing is something happens in their heart and they say, I want what you have. Because if God can change you, if God can change you, if God can change you, he can change me. If God can forgive you and God can forgive you and God can for, he can forgive me. And that's what they want. And that's the whole point. And so there's Nathalie sitting in the chair, and I just watched these, these nurses come in because she's going to tell you. She's going to tell you. Because, guys, all we have is a dash. 
And every day that we live on this earth is one day closer to us dying. It really is. And we need to wake up with a purpose. We need to wake up and say, God, what do you have for me? I want to be right in the middle of your will. I want to see. And then, Lord, will you just use me? I'm not, I don't want to be afraid anymore. Because the devil comes and he goes, you don't know all the answers. And you go, I know. But I can still love somebody. God, please. Lord, I want, I want to be a Dorcas. You might want to say Tabitha, because if you say, I want to be a Dorcas, somebody says, you're a dork, but that's a whole other thing. You say, Lord, I want to be a Tabitha. I just want my life to count. I want my life to count. Notice, the people didn't even know Jonathan had gone. They didn't even know. You go, why? Because radical living, think about it. Jonathan didn't send out a tweet. He didn't post a picture of Instagram. Look, me and the, we're going to go over to the Philistine garrison. Check it out, right? He didn't, right? He didn't post it on the Hebrew Facebook. And you go, why? Why didn't he? Listen, living for Jesus means living radically, and it involves action. It involves action. You don't have to post it. Your people will see that. It goes on in verse 4. Notice, he says, he says, but between the passes which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, that's where the Philistine army was, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the other was Sina. And the front faced the northward opposite of Michmash, and the other was the southward opposite of Geba. Now, again, check this out. On his way to see what God is going to do, on his way to live radically, if you will, he, on his way to the Philistine garrison, Jonah sees something that only a military man would notice. You go, what's that? He sees a strategic position, a narrow path, pass between a large sharp rocks on either side. A few men could easily fight against a, march, a much larger number at this strategic place. So he goes, oh, check it out. Wow. You go, what's the point? When you step out in faith, you'll begin to see things as God begins to move. As God begins to move. You go, no. Yeah, here's why. Listen, when we were called to plant this church, okay, we said, okay, I told Nathalie, sweetie, I want God to put that in your heart. I want to make sure. I don't want to move you anywhere unless I know God is calling us there. This is, this is what I want to do. Okay, at that point, we had moved out of one house that we were renting, and we were renting our friend's house at another. Now, God had already put this. I, God had already put this in my heart, okay? I went to my pastor, and I said, Pastor Robert, I think God is calling me to a place, but listen, I'm real good about manipulating situations, so here's what I want you to do. I want God to tell you where I should go or where God's putting in my heart. This is what I want, because I don't want to mess things up. I'm good at messing. Anybody good at messing things up? Anybody good at getting ahead of God and saying, uh, this is what God did, right? A lot of us like to do this. A lot of us like to run ahead of God and say, God, follow me. I'm over here. I'm good at that. But this time I said no. So I went to Pastor Robert, and Pastor Robert had went on a trip. And when he came back, we had this meeting. And he looked me straight in the eye, and he looked, and he goes, Lubbock, Texas. 
And I mean, I think I probably turned about as white as a ghost because I was like, I was just kidding, you know, I was just like, I'm just playing. I just, I really mean, wow, how did you, God is, this is, and, and, and he said, yeah. And I was like, yeah, God is, I think God is leading us to Lubbock. And so he began praying. At the meantime, we're moving out. We go to the house. We go to the empty house. The only thing left at the empty house was our phone and an answering machine. You guys know what I'm talking about? I get there. There's one message, and it's blinking. So I walk in. House is empty. Carpets have been cleaned and everything. Walk in. Press the button. And I have, it's a phone call from a friend of mine who I used to work with in, in Missouri, first New Mexico, then Missouri. Guess what he tells me? Hey, Ben, listen, I've just got promoted to a regional manager over Lubbock, Texas, and I was wondering if you wanted to come out and work. So being a man of integrity, we came out, I met with him, and I said, listen, we'll move to Lubbock, Texas, but I'm telling you, I'm coming out here to start a church, so I, I want to be upfront with you, I want to be honest, this is what God is calling us to do, and he's like, oh, that's cool, okay. Listen, guys, do you realize that that company that I started with paid to move us from New Mexico to Lubbock? And you go, why? Because when God's in it, guys, when God's, I mean, God, is, it's, just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Why? Because, again, think about it strategically. I mean, here's what he's going. He's going, God's in this. Look at, look at these two rocks. And you go, what are they? Well, if you're taking note, the one is Bozes. And the other is, is Sina. And you go, oh, what does that mean? Is there any significance? Well, Bozes actually means to shine, which I love. And Sina means thorny or thorn bush. That's what it means. Here's just my thought, okay? I, I'd like to do a little word study, but Jonathan is stepping out in faith. Hey, armor bear. We don't know what his name is. We'll call him Clyde for the sake of our Bible study. Hey, Clyde. Let's go see, let's go see if, if God's going to do something. Let's go, let's go pick a fight, right? So he's stepping out in faith with Clyde, and he's between these two point, these two pointy sharp rocks, and one means to shine or to shine bright, and the other is dark and thorny. And I thought, isn't that like God? When we step out in faith, when we're going to do something, oftentimes we feel the same way. I'll be honest with you, there are times when you step out in faith and you feel like it's dark, you feel like it's thorny, you feel like it's rocky. Are you kidding me? Are you sure you're in this, God? And you're not sure if we should have done this. But more often than not, when God's in this and he's guiding you, he's going to lead you to that shiny place. He's going to lead you to the brightness of it. When we live for God, guys, what happens is that we should also shine for God. That's the difference. In your Christian walks, listen to me, you're going to run into both a Sina and a Bozes. You're going to have those places where it's dark, where, where you feel like you're stumbling and there's rocks, and you're like, are you, whoa, you kidding me? In your walks, you're going to have that, but eventually what's going to happen is you, God's going to lead you because, because you're reflecting who he is to shine for the light of his glory. And there'll be some mountaintops in your life. 
There'll be some amazing victories. You'll be shouting from the mountaintops. And let me tell you, church, listen, and I know it's not popular, but there'll be some valleys in your life. And there'll be some dark times. And there'll be some times where you're struggling in your faith. But all the while, Jonathan had stepped out in faith. Keep this in mind. God never, ever had walked away from him. Verse 6, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. Guys, check it out. You know, what's the first thing he says? He says, hey, listen, may it be that the Lord will work for us. Here's the quote, right? For Jonathan, this was more than a Renaissance expedition. He wanted to see what God could do through two men who would trust him and step out boldly. Wow. Church, what is God calling you to do? And you go, I'm, whatever it is, maybe the Lord's, the Lord's going to be in this. The Lord's going to be in this. Now, if you're taking note, let me give you three indications that God wants you to step out in faith. You go, what's that? Number one, you'll see that there's a need. That there's a need. That there's a need. You go, what do you mean? That's, that's the first thing you're going to notice. Is there a need? The second thing you're going to see is that you'll realize that God wants to use someone to meet that need. Who, God, you're going to use somebody. And then the third thing you're going to realize is God wants to work with us to actually meet that need. Those are the three indications that, he, again, guys, that, that we need to step out in faith. You go, how so? Well, let me bring it back to Jonathan. Jonathan knew that the need was great. How so? Israel was already hopelessly outnumbered and demoralized. Why? Where's the battle? 600 of them are sitting with Saul in the tree. What are we going to do? I don't know. Why don't you go out and fight? I don't want to fight. There's a need. You go, what else? Well, number two, Jonathan knew that God wanted to use someone. His father, King Saul, just wanted to sit under the pomegranate tree. Something had to be done, and Jonathan was willing to be used by God to do it. And number three, Jonathan knew that God wanted to work with someone. How so? Well, Jonathan could have just prayed that God would rain down fire from heaven against the Philistines. But see, Jonathan knew what God that, that God uses bold action and a fighting spirit of his people. You go, well, how, does, how does that translate? Okay, you ready? Listen. God could write the gospel in the sky with fire, but he chooses us to spread the gospel, to share. You go, how so? Listen to me, listen. If the gospel is written in fire on the air, many people believe, but that doesn't mean they're not still hurting and broken and distraught. And so what God wants to do is he wants to take a bunch of, a bunch of Zacchaeuses and a bunch of Daniels and a bunch of Dorcas 
And he wants to say, and he says, listen, I've got a hurting world out there, and I want, I want to love them through you. And that's, how, that's what living radically is all about. We say, let's go. Let's go. What, what do we need to do? Well, wherever I am, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell them. Why? Because whatever happens to you has to be for not. The job you have, if you're a believer in here, the job you have is not just a job. It's a mission field. God wants to use you there. He wants you to, why? Because we're good in the, we're good at the job to, to hide stuff and to, and to, I'm okay. And then all of a sudden, you know what? God wants to use you to hurt, to help hurting and broken people. You go, Pastor, all my friends, they're, I mean, all my coworkers, they, they seem okay. Listen, can I just say, we live in a fragile world, and I'm telling you, marriages are being dissolved. People are hurting, and they're broken. And God says, hey, guess what? I'm going to send you there because you need to be my light. Are, are, are we going to, church, listen, are we going to be a Sina? Or are we going to be a Bozes? So I want to be a Bozes. I want to be a Bozes. I want to, I want to be a light. I want to shine. What does that mean? That means that I'm praying for people, and that means that, that I'm, I'm smiling at folks because they never get a smile anymore. That means if a coworker trusts you enough to share their intimate, personal feelings, that you're able to minister to them like nobody else could. How? You just pray. You just love on them. Right? What do we call it? We love people back to life. We love people back to life. Well, guess what Clyde says? Go then. Right? Here I am with you. I love this. And you go, why? These words from Jonathan's armor bearer must have cheered Jonathan greatly. You know when you step out in faith? You know what Nathalie said to me when, when I told her we were moving to Lubbock? She said, let's hit it. Let's go. I'm ready. And that, that does wonders. That's the same thing. He's like, okay, this dude could have died. Why? They're going against the Philistines. He's like, whatever you think, man, let's go. Let's go. Why? Guys, when we step out in faith, jot this down. Encouragement makes all the difference in the world. When we step out in faith, encouragement. What if I fall flat on my face? You still need encouragement. I really thought God wanted me to do this. That's okay. That's okay. What did you learn? I learned that whatever it is and, and just be encouraging. Be encouraging. Be encouraging. Could you imagine if Jonathan's armor bearer would have been the other way and had to give him a stern lecture of why he shouldn't step out in faith? I think about, do you guys, I mean, I'm thinking about this whole stepping out in faith, and it reminded me of another story about a man who lived radically when fighting the Philistines. You guys remember who that is? It's Joshua. Well, hold your finger here and go back with me just a couple of books to Joshua chapter 10. So you'll go First Samuel and then just go back to the left. You'll hit Judges and then Joshua chapter 10. We'll look at this pretty quick, and that way... Joshua chapter 10. 
This is what I call audacious faith. Joshua 10, 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, and as he had done to Jericho and its king, and he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon made peace with Israel and were among them, that he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city and one of those royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Do you guys remember the story? Gideon had deceived Joshua, said, we've come from a long place. And And Joshua didn't ask the Lord, and he made a covenant with Gideon. You remember that, with Gibeon? Gibeon had deceived that, well, he made a covenant anyway. And Adonai Zedek was like, man, this is, something's up. So therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hohem, king of Hebron, Hiram, king of Jermuth, Jaffa, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack not Israel, but Gibeon. For he's made peace with Joshua, with the son and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon gathered together and they went up all their armies in camp before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountain have gathered together against us. Now, let me stop right there, okay? Let me just let you in on a little nugget of truth that you, I want you to take home. Gibeon completely deceived Joshua. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? They said, we've come from a faraway place. Look, our sandals are worn out. The bread is moldy. Just make us your servants. We've, we're just so tired. Joshua did not inquire of the Lord, made a covenant with Gibeon, then realized that they were just right over yonder, over the hill. You with me? How did they, how did they make a covenant? By deception. All of a sudden, these five kings are getting ready to attack Gibeon. Now, what does your practical brain say you should do? Ah, serves them right. Serves them right. Watch, God took care of that, didn't he? You deceive God, you deceive us. Go on, take care of them. That's not what Joshua did. Why? Because he was a man of what? Full of faith and a man of integrity. I love that nugget of truth. Why? Because he could have said, it's all taken care of. What happened to Gibeon? They're wiped out. Look what happened. Verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and the mighty men of Eler, and the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. You know what Joshua did? He was a man of integrity and he marched all night to fight against these five kings. Why? Because he made a covenant. His yes was yes and his no was no. He said, let's do this. Church, as, as believers, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's be men and women of integrity. And what we say we're going to do and what we say we're not going to do, let's not do. Joshua, he's going to fight. But something happens here. Okay? And it happened, notice um, verse 10. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great 
slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel, they, they were on the ascent to Beth Haran, and the Lord cast down, notice, large hailstones from heaven as far as Azekah, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel <laughs> killed by the sword. This just cracks me up. Why? Because, I mean, can you imagine? There's a guy running. Right? And here comes a hailstone, boom, knocks him out, done. And more, God killed more people with hailstones than, than the actual fighting, but here's where it gets good. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children and the sight of Israel. And here's his, faith. here's his prayer, you ready? Sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. He's saying, sun stand still. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. He goes, this is not written in the book of Jasher. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there was no day like that before or after it. The Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. He was getting ready. He was getting tired. He says, listen, if we're going to wipe out our enemies, I need more daylight. God, I need more daylight. Could you just make the sun stand still? That's audacious faith, isn't it? Is it not? Why? Where's your faith? Your faith is in God about what he wants to do. And the sun stood still for about a whole day. I don't believe it. That's what the word of God says. That's what the word of God says. And I believe it. Why? Because it says the, the, Lord's, the Lord made the sun stand still. Well, back in Samuel, guys, we have just a little bit of time. Verse 9, Jonathan proposes a test. He says, okay, here's the deal. If they say to us, wait until we come with you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they, if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and it will be a sign to us, right? Notice this step of faith. Jonathan wants to know if he's really being led by God. So he says, let me just propose this test. If they show themselves to the, you know, we're going to show ourselves to the Philistines' gardens as, as they respond, hey, come on up here. Jonathan knows, okay, this, it's on. Right, we're going to win this battle. If the guards respond another way, wait, we're going to come to you. Jonathan's, no, 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 God doesn't want to fight this day. Right, so what a great test. Now, keep this in mind, okay? Here's what I want you to see. This is not the same as Gideon setting a fleece that we saw in Judges chapter 6. Why? Because Gideon had, conf- the, had a confirmed word of God to guide him, but he doubted God's word. Jonathan wasn't doubting God's word. He was doubting his own heart and his own mind. So it wasn't like, Lord, if here's the fleece. He says, I, I, I have your word. I'm not doubting you, God. I know you can do this. And all of a sudden, God shows up. Look at verse 11. So both of them showed up to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes which they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Whoa, there it is. Jonathan said to the armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up 
on his hands and his knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and he came after him. His armor bearer killed them. Did you see that? Radical living. Why? He loved God. He loved people. And now he steps out in faith and courage. In that first slaughter, guys, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, there were about, what, 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earthquake, so that it was very great trembling. Jonathan and his armor bearer said, listen, God wants to do something with me. I'm going to step out in faith, and look what happened. God was with him every step of the way. At this point, all chaos breaks loose. There's earthquakes, and the Philistines start killing each other. Saul hears about it, and he's like, yeah, let's attack. And then he makes a foolish vow. But the point is really simple, guys. The point is really simple. Let's close with these three things, okay? Let me close with three things that help us live radically in our faith. You ready? You want to live radically? You want to be like Jonathan? Number one, we need to have a deep, deep love for God. That's the first thing. If you have an issue with God, you need to work that out because you'll never walk in faith and you'll never live radically unless you have a deep, deep love for God. God is not a man where you can go, well, you should do this and you should do that. And why did you do this? And why didn't you do that? Your love for God is based upon faith and trust. That's the bottom line. You want to live radically? You need to have a deep love for God. Guys, Jonathan was known for his deep love for God first. But he also loved people, didn't he? Why? Because the kingdom was, was, was snatched away from Saul, but he, st- he knew David was going to be king, and Jonathan loved him, and he loved others. I want you to think about this for a second, okay? Jonathan loved God so much that he knew David was going to be king, and he could have said, you know what? I'm supposed to be king, right? I'm, I'm Saul's son. I'm supposed to be next in line, His dad kept saying, well, if you kill David, if you don't kill David, Jonathan, you'll never be king. But you know what? Jonathan's love for God naturally transformed in his love for people. And he realized that David was supposed to be king. And he says, he's going to be king. I'm okay with that. Isn't that what love does? Why? Love is not selfish. Love is not self-centered. Love says, you know what? I got to esteem others higher than myself. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves in the eyes of the Lord and let him lift us up. Number two, number two, this is the second thing that you want to live as you live radically and step out in faith, that we must be loyal in our hearts. Loyal to who, Ben? First and foremost, you need to be loyal to the Word of God. You need to be loyal to the Word of God. And of course, when you're loyal to the Word of God, you can be loyal to your friends. He was loyal to Jonathan. You guys know the story. He tells, he tells Jonathan, he tells David, David tells Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. And he's like, no, he's not. He goes, no, he is. He says, I'll bet you. I won't come to the feast. He says, and and if your dad gets really angry, I'll know you'll know that he's trying to kill me. 
So he doesn't come to the feast in the first night, and, and Saul's like, where's Jonathan? He always sits with me. Oh, he must be unceremonially unclean. Well, the next night, he goes, where's Jonathan? And, and, or where's David? And Jonathan says, oh, I gave him permission to go back to Bethlehem and have sacrifice with his family. And dad gets so outraged that he throws a spear at his own son. Jonathan was fiercely loyal in his friendship. And number three, guys, we must have a deep faith in God. We must have a deep faith in God. You see, God wants to use us in amazing ways, and we must trust him with our lives. I think of Saul, and let me give you this real quick. If you want to be stifled in your walk with God, just do the opposite of Jonathan. You go, what's that? Well, his dad was much like he he acted foolishly. You want to be stifled in your walk, act foolishly. Number two, act with pride. And number three, be disobedient to God. That's exactly what Saul did. But Jonathan was, Jonathan was different. And as the story goes, church, a later battle with the Philistine, Jonathan was killed alongside his two, alongside two of his, his two brothers, Abinadab and Malkashua. Saul himself was also badly wounded, and he told his armor bearer to slay him. And when his armor bearer was unwilling to take the king's life, Saul fell on his own sword, and it grieved his armor-bearer so much he followed his example. But even in death, Jonathan's righteousness exceeded that of his father. Here's my final point. You ready? God wants to do something with you. There's so much. He wants to use us in amazing ways, and all you have to do is step out in faith trust the Lord and you'll live radically for him Dorcas she stepped what did she do she stepped in and met a need Jonathan he stepped out and lived radically amen father thank you for your word today and the truth in your word we love you so much it's in Jesus name and Lord we thank you and we praise you we love you God bless the people here, Lord, and we just um, we just give you tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.